This episode, we head over to South America to see a spiritual civil war get resolved by a giant snake wrestling match. And for our fact, well, you know, I like this one so much, I'm going to make you wait to the end. Sorry, not sorry. Keeping people in suspense is just how we do here on the Colored Folklore Podcast. Episode 2, South America, Mapuche del Yushmith. Good morning, good evening, good everything in between to all those listening. Thank you so very much for tuning in, checking us out, taking a look at our big little corner of the podcasting world. Playing us in there, as always, is Mr. Mischief by All Good Folks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And just as they entice your ears, thanks goes out to our artistic team that helps captivate your balls. Your eyeballs. That worked so much better when LSP did it. Uh, Jacqueline and Arthur taking care of the podcast cover artwork and the show's logo, respectively. Rounding out our team, I'm your host. Grease, my name in global and fairy tale and folklore studies is my game. You know, zero for two starting out this episode. That did not work out as smoothly as I'd hoped. Sophomore slump, what up? Regardless of my blistering, bungling self, this is Colored Folklore, the podcast that helps deliver to you all the different stories of all the different cultures of all the different worlds. <laughs> So that's not true. Just this world. We go over the stories the modern world may not exactly pay all that much attention to. Last week, we were touring Africa and brought to you a creation myth from Nigeria. This week, we're going to be taking a look at South America, specifically the Patagonia region of the continent. This is the southern part of South America where the Mapuche people reside, particularly in south-central Chile and southern Argentina. Just like last week, this is an ancient people. There is evidence that this indigenous population goes as far back as between 600 and 500 BCE. South of the Incan civilization, the Mapuche people, much like most of the New World, had to deal with Old World invaders around 16th century CE, current era, which saw them battling for their livelihood for over 300 years, and arguably up to this day. It was actually when the Mapuche people were being occupied, that the religious belief system first began being recorded. Being an ancient people, their beliefs were passed down orally between generations until the old world sought to document their ways. Paramount to their belief structure was grouping of their deities, or maybe more appropriately, their spirits. The Pilyan are male spirits. The Wengulin are female spirits. Ngien are spirits found in nature, and the Wekufe are evil spirits. <laughs> These are, of course, general groupings. These spirits are much, much more complex than this, as we hope to get to in today's story. By the way, deluge means flood. This, this is going to be a flood story. <laughs> Antu stepped onto his balcony and took a deep breath. Things were going well. Governing over the Winamapu, the spirit realm, was no easy task. But he was the most powerful Pliyan there was, and by extension, the best fit for the job. Setting a good example for all the male Pliyan, watching over all the Wengulin, 
and making sure their sister realm Earth and all its inhabitants were taken care of? <laughs> Not to mention, keeping in line all the way Kufe of Anakowenon, their brother realm and spiritual world of unbridled chaos, this made his job all the more important. And exhausting. And lonely. And Tu smiled to himself. It was time to fix that. Well, at least that last one. Today, he would choose a bride. Clearing his throat, he lifted his hands to the side of his mouth and cried out gracefully. Attention, everyone. Winamapu hustled and bustled along, not really able to hear one spirit, even the most powerful one, yelling out among an entire land of spirits. Antu narrowed his eyes. Y'all shut up now! The jovial murmur hit a screeching halt. All the spirits quizzically gathered around the palace. As many of you might be aware, and as all of you should, I'm single. Immediately, a murmur spread over the crowd. The Wayngulin began subtly jostling each other, each of them mutedly squabbling over rank and likelihood of rectifying Antu's vacant side. The Pilyan guffawed, made lewd jokes, and nodded to themselves. <laughs> Must be good to be the king. Whenever a male or female spirit spoke up about how this seemed to be a rather archaic and problematic way in getting together as a couple, let alone ruling an entire realm, they were quickly ushered out of the story. But after all this time, after all this searching, I believe I've finally found the one. An almost unnatural hush descended on the crowd. This would be the moment the entire kingdom had been waiting for. It only makes sense that the most powerful spirit in all the realm, that's me, partner with the only one on the same level, the only one with the same power, the same pride, the same ability. I'm talking about the one, the only. Quadian, dead center of the crowd, a torrent of happy shrieks filled the air. Not from the star Wangolin herself, but from her friends and family that surrounded her, the rest of the night stars. Center of their fawning and compliments, Quajin simply nodded to her king, raising a hand to wave at all the spirits of the realms, accepting all the love and devotion of her king, and reflecting it right back, just as bright as, nay, even brighter than the king himself. The joy and love radiated throughout the crowd, nearly causing a mad frenzy of devotion and adoration for the newly minted royal couple. From an alleyway, orange eyes flashed, watching everything and cigarette smoke wafted through the air. There might have been a lot of joy in that crowd, but there was also a lot of jealousy. Perapilyan, the baddest dude of them all, smirked to himself as he leaned against the brick wall. This was going to be easier than he thought. And too, up there on his high horse, thinking he was better than him. I, 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 he meant better than everyone else. It was long past time to knock him down a peg or two, and now, <laughs> why, he was practically being given the keys to the kingdom, like taking candy from a baby, 
like being handed WMDs, weapons of mass dissension. You can stop now. We got the point after one. Perapilion flicked his eyes over to the alley entrance. An older spirit stood with its hands on its hips, shaking a bony finger at him. Besides being plain old overkill, you went with weapons of mass dissension. Who writes your material? Anything could have been better than that. Weapons of mass doo-doo is funnier, and that doesn't even make any sense. Perapilion flicked his cigarette down the alley and clapped his hands together. The old spirit evaporated into a mewling wisp of smoke. Perapilion licked his lips and walked out into the waiting crowd of spirits. Antu looked over at his queen and smiled. These past few decades had been good. Life next to the brightest star in the entire universe tends to lend itself some benefits. Yin looked over at her king, and she smiled. Though he could be, uh, a bit much, Antu wasn't... He wasn't really all that bad. Life could be a lot worse than spending eternity next to the ruler of the realm. They were able to traverse the land together and take in all the glories of the spirit realm, living a life of luxury and... <laughs> Why should they not? Rarely afforded to others. They were worshipped everywhere they went, regardless of what they did or didn't do, or said they would and then didn't, or didn't say they would and then took all the credit. You know what? Uh, they were like any other couple in power. And things didn't slow down nor change when they decided to bring a life into the world. A young daughter graced their paths and was very wise and very humble beyond her years. So much so that she rejected the need for even a name. It wasn't important to refer to her directly, at least not yet. When the time came, she was sure she'd be given an identity. The king, basking in all his glory. The queen, unable to shine any less than she was made to, but aware that there was a kingdom under their rule. And the princess, concerned about what life looked like outside of the palace, yet content to stay there made for as happy of a home as any of the three felt that they deserved. However, true to the princess's phenomenal foresight, outside of the courtroom was a rather different story. The rather peaceful Wenumapu had gathered an underbelly, a land beneath the land full of tension and paranoia. Turns out, when someone who rules by force takes a companion by force, the most beautiful, desired, wonderful, powerful female spirit known across the land, a few of the others may get upset. Now, in a perfect world, these spirits may have found their way towards more healthy ways to work off steam. Maybe Zumba, Book of the Month Club, starting up urban farming. But alas, this here was not the case. Not when Perapilian had been slithering into the ears and into the hearts of the male and female spirits alike. Taking a male spirit to the side and letting him know, Hey, 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 why should Antu get Quien? You were born a man. Don't you have just as much a right to take what you want as him? What makes him so special? 
or taking a female to the side and gaslighting her with, Hey, I don't know why you're so upset by our customs. This is the way the gods have done it forever. Barring a cataclysmic change in our way of life, what could ever change this? You better just brush up on those housewifing skills. Multiple groups existed. Multiple torrents of misinformation flowed from one group to the other. All the while, most every bit of chaos could be said to have come from Perapilian, though nothing could officially link him to such threatening banter. What could officially be linked to him, however, was his son. With the Fire Lord's fiery ways of late-night visits to a spirit here, a spirit there, he had no idea who the mother really was. But when the boy came slinking up to him, claiming heritage, he had no reason to doubt him. The fire dancing along the boy's tongue, and sort of from his fingertips, that was all the proof he needed. But unlike the unnamed princess, this heir apparent was going to have to work for his supper. See, Perapilian was forged, baby. His might was tempered in flame. He wasn't raised with this weak concept of love to define him. His strength and cunning was earned. His will tested by fire, and he came out the better for it. If his boy wanted to impress him, he'd make sure to do the same. Besides, Daddy's too busy right now to raise you, to play with you, to teach you the ways of the world. See, he's got a rebellion to kick off. All the pieces are in place, and before anyone knows it, when Umapu gonna have a brand new bag. And by bag, it's, it, it is being implied ruler. The, the, the spirit world is gonna have an, you know what, play the damn sting. Walking into the throne room, Antu saw that there was a meeting taking place. Slinging his tennis bag over his shoulder, he watched his nearly adult daughter broker a trade deal with all the grace, dignity, and wisdom of rising royalty. You, Muffin Star, are adorable. The princess's smile faltered for only a moment before she bowed deeply to the partnering congregation. They smiled, but were a little confused by Antu patting the princess on the head. She smiled stoically as spirit handlers helped the coalition exit the room. Sighing deeply, she spun on her heels. Dad, do you mind? These are serious, pressing matters. We have a kingdom to run, one that is going to stage a full-on revolution if you don't start... Wait, wait, whoa, wait, why are you dressed like that? You like? Once your mother's done with her press junket, I'm taking her out to tour the courts. He swung an invisible racket. Get it? Get it? Ah, she gets it. Father, there are meetings scheduled well into the evening. You can't just... Oh, you are just the cutest when you play, Govern. And to threw his bag to an attendant. She's just the cutest. You're the cutest. But, sweetie, you look so cross all the time. Why don't you try smiling more? You look so pretty when you smile. Eyes flashing wide, the princess slightly lifted off the ground. Power 
radiated all around her. Her father did a double-take her way. Temper tantrum? Better watch it. Never gonna get a man like that. Before the princess could answer, with words or with force, an explosion rocked the palace, knocked to the floor amongst a court full of unconscious servants, and Tu and his daughter coughed weakly and lifted their heads. Perapilian walked over the rubble through what used to be a wall, tossing a ball of flame from one hand to the next. His tall, lanky, hunched-over son slunk in behind him, rubbing his hands fervently. Time to dim the lights on this family dynasty. Ruling class about to go up in flames. Holding both his hands out with the palms up, fire danced in the air. A hiss of ill-timed laughter dimmed his flame. Warm it up, Dad. He's about to warm it up, Dad. That's what he was born to do. Perapilian sighed and turned to his child. Number one, timing. Work on it. Number two, none of this dad stuff in public. You got it? The emasculated child grumbled a response as the princess dusted herself off, offering a hand to her father. And two stood, brushing away the help, with the air crackling all around him. You dare! Perapilian's son scoffed. Oh, we already dared to did, did, did we? Yeah, we dare. Perapilian tilted his head to the side. Now, what did I just tell you? The princess flew through the air, tackling Perapilian into what was left of the royal courtyard. Perapilian's son stood frozen, eyes wide at his father being tackled by the young star, so much so that he failed to notice Antu walking up to him. The young fire spirit gulped and raised a pair of trembling fists, and two rolled his eyes and waved his hand in the air. The teenager went careening, head over heels, also into the courtyard, and two took flight and followed. Taking a look around the kingdom, and two saw, for the first time, really saw the state of his realm. Fires burned in the distance. Screams could be heard, almost as if on a loop. Battles raged everywhere. It looked like the beginning of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake, Sans, giant gas station fireball. And two hovered above the ground, but his jaw still dropped to the floor. Little help? The princess yelled, struggling to contain Perapilian. And two gathered his wits and flew to his daughter's side, lifting the struggling force of chaos with a... Darth Vader death choke thing, Antu clicked his tongue. Daughter, didn't I warn you? This is adult's work. This is a man's work. Finally, having had enough, the princess hauled her leg back and kicked her father square in the groin. Unprepared in absolutely all the ways, Antu's psychic grip evaporated, and both male spirits hit the ground, gasping. Didn't I tell you I'm about done with all your bull shit? Before she could do anything else, a miniature fireball sizzled just over her shoulder. Perapilian's son stood on the other side of the courtyard. Dad! Dad, did you see that? I, I, I shot fire! I, I actually did it! The princess's eyes bugged out of their sockets as she took off to engage a new target of her ancient and very justified rage. 
Peripilion looked at Antu and shrugged. Kids, am I right? Antu sighed. Don't even get me started. Peripilion nodded and stood, offering out his hand. Antu smiled and reached out to take the outstretched hand. Fire erupted down Antu's arm and engulfed his body. Peripilion shook with laughter. Fooled you! Antu bellowed in pain and shock, and ultimately in rage. Releasing all the energy and frustration inside of him, Antu generated a massive shockwave that not only extinguished the flames, but devastated what was left of the palace and the surrounding area. Continually screaming, Antu continued harnessing energy so much so that he began to grow. At first, just a little, and he was soon the size of a house, but then of a barn, and then larger than any building in all of the land. Peripilian smiled and laughed, but there was no joy in his reaction. There was nothing but sheer chaos and insanity. Shrieking howls that made eardrums bleed, Peripilian began to do the same as Antu, summoning more and more flame, more and more power, until he was the same size as the current ruler of the realm. One being of intense rage howled at another being consumed by fire. Unable to contain his mad glee any more, the force once known as Peripilian lifted both hands and brought the fist down in unison on top of Antu's head, shrugging it off as if it were a slight breeze. Antu delivered a right cross that connected with Peripilian's face, but continued further and seemed to catch the air. Shaking his fist free and continuing the fight, there seemed to be a slight shimmer stuck in the air over Peripilian's shoulder. With every connection of power, the shimmer seemed to grow. Soon, it outlined both figures entirely. Still laying on the ground, the children of giants were the only creatures for miles still alive under such an assault. The princess, barely able to stand at first, looked up at her father and his assailant. Blinking her eyes, she began to register what was happening. She feebly flew through the air and made her way towards her father's face. No, you've gone too far. You both need to stop. You're threatening the fabric of reality itself. You have to st- Either unable to hear her or unwilling to listen, both behemoths connected one last time before the walls of time and space crumpled around them. Cascading out into their sister realm, Earth, Antu and Peripilion landed onto a southern landmass, not pausing for a second. Destroying land and humans alike, nothing could contain their fury. Antu's daughter, gaining strength, flew through the rift into the Earth realm. Awakening himself, and not even sure how he was still alive, Peripilion's son looked around and saw all the devastation caused by his father. 
Buyakasha. Mad respect. He had always idolized his father, but this... This was everything his dad had been talking about for the... Well, since before he was born. He was doing it. I mean, look at this. Look at this carnage. He was going to rule the world. And then it would be... It would be like nothing had ever changed. Not for Parapelion's son, that is. His dad would still go on berating him, treating him like garbage, embarrassing him. Man, all he wanted to do was be a rapper. Parents just don't understand. Wait a minute. You know, that might make a good track. <sighs> Who was he kidding? He didn't have a future. Not in rapping. Not in dictatoring. He was just a follower. Might as well get in line behind all the rest of his dad's cronies. You don't never change unless you're the... Unless you're the lead dog. A wicked smile grew on the young spirit's face as he turned and ran to the rift. Hmm. Parapilian's son tapped his chin, watching the 50-foot-tall, soon-to-be spirit leader fighting the 50-foot-tall current spirit leader. This might be a little harder than he thought. If only his father had a weakness. If only the giant being made out of fire had something that might be... <gasps> he had it! Nope. Actually, you know what? Nope. Ugh. Staring off into the distance, he noticed how gorgeous the coastline really was. In fact, the ocean was rather magnificent when you... Okay, for real, got it this time. Waving his arms wildly, he tried to get the attention of what appeared to be a little annoying bug flying around Antu, which took him not much longer to realize that it was... The princess! You know, your daughter, dad, you, you're in a whole other realm. You have to calm down. But it was to no avail. The two creatures were beyond reasoning. They hadn't shown her an ounce of attention. She hovered for a moment, trying to catch her breath. And that's when she saw it. What appeared to be a little conniving weasel jumping around Parapilion's feet. She could tell that it was yelling something, but couldn't quite make it out. Wait, was that Parapilion's son? You have to get them to the coastline. Get my father into the ocean. The princess raised her hands quizzically and turned her ear towards him. He dropped his hands and groaned. <sighs> If two African gods can hear each other across... You know what? Forget it. Just get them that way. Summoning all the strength he could ever hope to muster, he created two large arrows made of fire. One pointed at their parents and the other pointed at the water. And the princess owed a big thumbs up. He dropped the arrows and wiped his brow. Finally, it was all coming together. He ran towards the harbor, giggling and kicking his heels the whole way.
It seemed like this fight had been going on forever, at least longer than the 10 minutes that it took describing it. Antu wasn't missing a beat, but neither was Parapilyan. Antu scrunched his nose and prepared to strike, when suddenly he felt a knock to the side of his head, and then another. Was that a, a boulder? Laughing at the absurdity, Parapilyan stopped fighting long enough to point and laugh, when the same thing happened to him, only dead center in the middle of his forehead. No longer pleased, Parapilyan rubbed his forehead and knocked the ashes of the boulder away. The two forces looked to see the princess levitating boulders at them. As a number of large rocks flew their way, both beings momentarily forgot each other and turned their grievances towards the flying young spirit. Smiling to herself, she slowly but steadily made her way to the coastline. Goading the creatures into a sprint, the princess didn't have to wait very long before both of them, reaching out for her and not paying attention to where they were running, wily coyoted headfirst into the water. Maybe that will cool your heads, said the princess just before donning a pair of sunglasses and walking away with the who playing her off in the background. Jumping up and down on the dock, Parapilian's son gleefully shot fire from his fingertips. How's that taste, daddy-o? Always telling me I'd never amount to squat. How you like them apples? I'm gonna love running things in your place. After all, you might have gotten all the brawn, but I got all the brain. The young man trailed off as his father slowly stood up from the harbor. Oh, you got all the brains. He slowly nodded, staring up at his father, no longer on fire, but no less massive than a few minutes prior. Well then, why don't you tell me how to get to Lafkinmapu? His son gulped and sheepishly shrugged his shoulders. Oh, that's fine. Here, let me show you the way. Grabbing his son by the head, with a speed never thought possible for such a large creature, Parapilian lifted his son high up in the air and brought him down, hard. Lifting him up again, Parapilian brought his child down over and over and over again, leaving an entirely new coastline and not very much left of his son. Gagging off to the side, the princess saw her father rise up behind Parapilian. She was trying to get his attention, but he waved her away impatiently, trying to sneak up on his foe. Dad! 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 Daddy! 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 Papa! 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 Pa! 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 Pops! 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 Daddy! Daddy! Papa! Papa! Spinning on his heels, again, with speed unpredicted of such a large being, Antu screamed, That's no less annoying! Switching genders! Grabbing her by the face, Antu heaved back and threw her so high up and so far away that she landed over a mountain range and with deafening, body-evaporating force. Parapilian scoffed, watching in the background and folded his arms. Told you, you were just a jerk. Antu turned, incredulous. You just smashed your son to a pulp. Who are you to call me 
a jerk. You're supposed to be the hero. I'm the bad guy. Duh. Before the fire spirit could finish his stylish lyric, Antu's rage returned, worse than the entire fight combined. Giving Perapilyan a double axe handle in return, the move that started the testosterone-fueled Hulkfest ended it as well. Driving his opponent straight into the ground like a tent spike, Antu stood above the fire spirit with a snarl on his face. Watching the meager remains of Perapilyan's rebellious army, watching from the rift between worlds, Antu snatched them up and began throwing them as far up as he could muster and as far down as he could bury them. As Wingulin sparkled the sky and Pilyan dotted the coastal range, Perapilyan chuckled and goaded Antu for his improperly placed rage. Finally, having dealt with all the traitors, Antu turned, chest heaving, towards his buried nemesis. Tilting his head off to the side, Antu sniffed and brushed his cheek off while staring at the fire spirit. Perapilyan stopped his taunts and tried to look down at his own face. What? What? Do I got a booger? An eyelash? Is there something on my face? Do me a solid. I can't reach up because of you. Can you get it? Antu wrenched a mountain right out of the ground. Oh, don't you worry. I got you. No, Daddy, no! Perapilyan screamed as the mountain crashed onto his face. Flicking the bottom of his chin at the newly formed volcano, Antu dusted off his hands and took a step back towards the rift and his own realm. Glancing back over his shoulder, he witnessed the sorry state of Earth. Mewling female spirits speckled the heavens, while male spirits groaned from the underworld. Humankind, animals, plants, even bugs, were all decimated, and the continent forever bore the scars of his childish schoolyard brawl. Feeling genuine remorse for his actions, the all-powerful Antu concentrated his energy. Pushing his abilities outward this time instead of inward, he began to return to his normal stature. But the world began to heal from his destruction. Turning the spirits in the sky into the shining stars and the spirits underground into forces of nature, Antu forgave and redeemed those who had lifted arms against him. Mending the rift between worlds, Antu healed his callous entry into this realm and made it so that spirits were no longer able to leap from one world to the next. And finally, and most importantly, Antu sought to repair the troubled bond between generations. Nearly depleting all of his energy and concentrating for what felt like millennia, Antu resurrected the spirits of his daughter and the son of his vanquished foe. Furrowing his brow, he went a step further, and instead of bringing them back exactly as they were, he made them into something more. Molding and shaping the spirit of Perapilyan's son, Antu made him into the guardian of the sea, and named him Kai Kai Fuyu. Taking the form of a giant blue sea serpent, he would protect the waters and all of its creatures from any threat near or far. Hoping that this would help give the boy a future he might never have had with his fire spirit of a father, Antu smiled 
and turned his long-past-due attention to his own child. Transforming his daughter into the guardian of the earth, he called her ten ten fil and she took the form of a giant red snake. Curled in on herself, he had her sleep beneath the land, only to awaken when any spirit might threaten the well-being of this world, including himself. Sighing contently and exhaustedly, he used the rest of his strength to send himself back to the Wenamapu. Kai Kai felt something lightly dust his forehead. Grumbling to himself, he tried to ignore it. Whatever it was, it wasn't making it easy, though. Moving from his forehead down his face, it actually increased in frequency, whatever it... Oh, is this sh... Kai Kai lifted his tail to brush his face off and couldn't quite stick the landing. Smacking himself dead between the eyes, the young guardian's vision went in and out before he shook his head. All right, I'm up, he grumbled to no one in particular. He sighed, also to himself, still trying to get used to the changes. Being a young man, slaughtered by his father, then resurrected as a giant snake by the spirit king that also vanquished his father, brought along with it all sorts of baggage. Not that he was issueless to begin with, mind you, but that was neither here nor there. He was supposed to be eternally slumbering, right? I'm, wait, if he was resurrected, why was he now sentenced to sleep it all up? Before he could realize how raw of a deal he'd actually been dealt, he noticed why he'd been awakened at all. Poop. It really was poop again. A monumental amount of waste littered the water. Fish tried to swim, but couldn't see two feet in front of their face. Coral reefs seemed to almost wither and die right in front of him. Bottom feeders, well, bottom feeders seemed to be the only creatures enjoying this infernal mess. A couple of lampreys looked at him with blissful faces, dragging comically engorged stomachs, and then burping. Kai Kai made a face. Gross. The ecosystem of the ocean was in turmoil. Kai Kai puffed out his chest. This is what he had been reborn for. A crime was afoot, and he had been given free reign to knock them into the next realm. He swam up to the surface, slowly gaining speed. A smirk grew on his face. He couldn't wait to see the species that was going to be on the receiving end of this beatdown. very privileged human being burped loudly and threw the fish carcass over the side of his boat. Patting his belly, he slumped down, preparing for a nice, long nap. A large shadow overtook his boat. Turning around, the man saw a giant snake lifting out of the water. The snake glared down at him. Glancing at the numerous fish carcasses in and around the boat, smoke began curling out of Kai Kai's nostrils. The fisherman stood up, arms spread wide. You mind, bro? 
kind of harshing my vibe here. Kai Kai's eyes flashed wide for a moment before he very slowly descended back into the depths. Shaw, that's what I thought, river monster. The man was about to sit back down when Kai Kai's tail shot out of the water. Oh, man, can't you take a joke, bro? Kai Kai's tail came crashing down atop him, creating a massive wave that swept forward. The ocean rumbled headlong into the world of human beings. Not stopping at the port, nor stopping at the village, the wave continued further still, all the way deep inland to the heart of the country, even the very continent. Before they even knew what was happening, villagers and livestock Creatures of all shapes and sizes were decimated by the Ocean Guardian's vengeance. Ten Ten felt something lightly dust her forehead. Groaning to herself, she tried to ignore it. Whatever it was, it wasn't making it easy, though. Moving from her forehead down her face, it actually increased her eyes flying open from the redundancy of this bit. She shot straight up, smacking her head on the roof of the cave. The young guardian's vision went in and out before she shook her head. I got it. I got it. They get the gist of the situation. Now, why am I up? She grumbled to no one in particular. She said... <clears throat> Sorry, she's right. Nodding, pleased with the acknowledgement, she tilted an ear towards the ceiling. Or rather, tilted the side of her reptilian head. She was awake. She must have been called to action. But whatever spirit was threatening the land, she didn't want to just blindly charge rushing in. Had her father's ancient nemesis managed to escape the volcano? Had her father once again lost control and forced his way between worlds? Screams from above helped her deduce the situation. I told you we should have sprung for the mountain retreat, but no. You said, hey, the weather's so much better in the valley. Look at us now, George. We're drowning. We're drowning. Ten-Ten was aghast. Really? You're going to portray the shrew wife to convey exposition? She clucked her tongue. I really am needed, aren't I? Burrowing through the earth, Ten-Ten flew up and into the realm of human beings without a second to lose. Trying to do a myriad of things all at the same time, Ten-Ten was immediately aware of two issues. Number one, this was a losing battle. Trying to hold back the ocean, save humans and beasts alike, and minimize the property damage to help save the fragile, ancient world budding economy because she's just not some hack superhero was harder than it sounded, especially when you have no dukes. And, number two, this was that damned Kai Kai's doing. She thought there was a truce. They were supposed to sleep forever, considering peace and goodwill among the realms. If anything, they were supposed to team up to take down a handsomely roguish fiend that would eventually disclose similar lineage, and then they... She shook her head. Fanfic would have to wait for another day. Now she was going to have to break out the big guns. Harnessing all of the energy throughout the land, Ten-Ten concentrated. Which wasn't easy, being all the 
the death and drowning and screaming. But nevertheless, she persisted. The earth began to shake. And as she shot her energy up into the air, mountains rose alongside her screams. The land bended and molded to suit her whims. The ocean crashed against the newly formed mountain range, finally meeting something that could tame it. Gulping in ragged breaths of air, she was happy for now. This wouldn't finish the flood, but it'd make sure it didn't spread any further. Continuing through great distress and exhaustion, she gathered as much of the remaining living creatures as she could and deposited them above and on the other side of the mountains. For those creatures that it was too late, she worked further to transform them into new, healthy coral reefs and other seafaring beings. A few exceptionally thankful dolphins chitted their eternal gratitude towards her, and she smiled, eyes brimming with tears. Swimming away, talking to each other, they passed by Kai Kai as he made his way inland. They chittered something obviously less than classy his way, and he stank-faced. I literally just punished the people that were polluting where you now live, and you, you know what? Forget it, stupid dolphins. Go buy more lotto tickets. Flexing in their direction, they shot underwater, and Kai Kai turned his head towards his sparring partner. Ten Ten dried her cheeks with a flick of her tail. That's too dated and too obscure a reference. No one will get what you're talking about. Kai Kai scoffed. Probably not, being that they're all dead. Tenten cracked her neck. Any way I might be able to talk you out of this? Kai Kai slowly shook his head. Then it looks like it's time to turn the tides. Before Kai Kai could tell her that's one Horatio moment too many, Tenten coiled her body around his, and the two giant snake spirits began their fight to the death. Kai Kai wheezed and flicked his tail at Ten Ten. Ten Ten didn't even try to move as the tail lightly slapped her in the face. Kai Kai tried to laugh, but it hurt too much. He just quipped instead. How do you, how do you like that? I got, I got plenty more where that came from. Ten Ten could barely keep her eyes open. They had been fighting for so long, coiling around each other, squeezing Biting, each godling was looking to one-up the other. Evenly powered, the guardian snake of the ocean and the guardian snake of the earth went toe-to-toe for a... for a very long time. With humanity and the animals safely out of the way, at first, everyone and everything was tense. With bated breath, they dare not move. Nothing and no one was sure how the battle was going to end. However, after a few days, everyone sort of went on their way. Tenten narrowed her eyes. Dude, are you starting to grow a beard? Kai Kai rubbed his tail on his chin, then shook his head violently. Don't try to change the subject. We were talking about how bad I'm beating you up. Besides, beards are, beards are cool, aren't they? Tenten sighed deeply. Man... Come on, this is ridiculous. Neither of us is ever going to... She watched Kai Kai's drooping head. You did not just fall asleep in the middle of a... Near the end-ish of our fight. Tenten quickly smiled. Here was her opening. 
She bared her fangs and prepared to strike. Tenten wrapped her tail around his neck, and Kai Kai's eyes popped out of his head. Rearing back to finish her opponent off, Tenten suddenly stopped. Kai Kai had briefly flicked his eyes away from Tenten. It was only for a moment, but it was enough to betray what he was feeling at the time. Tenten blinked and released her opponent. I saw you looking at the volcano. Kai Kai sniffled. I wasn't looking, you were looking. Tenten smacked him gently with her tail. Look, this was our father's fight. It doesn't have to be ours. She offered him her tail. He looked at it and thought about what this meant. Finally, he slowly shook her tail with his. I'm sorry. I saw what the humans did and I, I kind of just flipped out. Maybe I'm overcompensating. You know, just taking this guardian thing too seriously. Ten-Ten looked taken aback. What'd the humans do? You mean you didn't know? Ten-Ten narrowed her eyes and looked up at the mountaintops. A whole mess of humans suddenly found great interest in whistling and kicking at the ground. Nope, but I'm about to find out. Kai-Kai laughed. This, this felt good. Kind of like maybe having a friend? Ten-Ten smiled. I take care of my people, you take care of yours? Kai-Kai smiled right back. Reading my mind, Ma, reading my mind. And with that, Kai-Kai went back to the ocean, to slumber, and Ten-Ten went back to the earth in order to do the same. Every so often, when Ten-Ten was displeased with humans, she'd send a tremor to keep them in check, just as Kai-Kai would make sure to do the same. The two guardian snakes found that an afterlife working together for the greater good of the realm was the best life that either could have ever hoped for. Now, I'd like to be very upfront here, and I'm sure after last week's episode, and then again with this week's episode, some folks are like, hmm, absolutely as true to the original tale as possible, huh? Yeah, I I would like to do some interesting gymnastics here to explain myself, and the first thing that I want to do is apologize. I hope, I, I very, very deeply hope that my inane jokes and random references aren't too annoying and are more entertaining. Regardless of how they read... I am and will always be sorry about it being distracting. If that's the case, give me feedback. Let me know how to do better. I'll always apologize for the liberties that I'm taking. I'm hoping that I'm not going too far. There will be some stories that I find uh, that won't make sense that I will have to fill in some details about. I mean, Everyone already knew about Bruce and Steve, so I will just do some summer-style extrapolating to help make this story entertaining. Mostly, I want to apologize for how I may have made some changes to stories that baffle someone familiar with the tale or out-and-out out just upset them. That is not what I am trying to do at all. I am really trying to find uh, some type of equal footing here. Uh, for instance, in today's story, Moon, the queen, 
is mentioned by name, and in my story, I pulled it out a little bit more than that. But in the mythology, she is incredibly powerful. Uh, A number of references, she's listed supreme above Antu. See, I love that. But in the tale, it mentions her name one time, and that's the only time the character comes up. The rest, the the entire thing in the vast majority of versions that I read, it's completely male-orientated. I am not ever, ever going to do that. I'm sorry. We've had a lot of dudes doing all the things for all the time, and I'm, I'm not perpetuating that anymore. So I found one reference that listed Antu's child as his daughter, so I chose that one to use. And, and I'm really glad because I didn't, I didn't want to flat out make, out make up something that, that large. That being said, the two working together, ever, that was made up. In the original, Kai Kai didn't destroy all the land, so it was decreed that he failed. And 1010 was declared the winner. If you go back to our Zero episodes, and if you haven't listened to them yet, maybe you could, maybe, I don't know, sort of try to do that. That'd be cool. You'll see how I talk about a folklorist should study tales through the lens of time, not superimpose the present onto the past. And I said, that's the best part about being a podcaster. I don't necessarily need to do that. Enter today's, and probably all of them's, episodes. If I see the opportunity to insert something a little more modern that that flows with the legend we're talking about, boom. Consider it already done. Don't worry, I won't ham-fist it much. What do I look like, Hans Christian Andersen? Seriously, though, read his work because uh, the original Little Mermaid, bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. So that's my tangent for the week. Sorry it was this long. Sorry this episode was actually a little bit longer than I had planned, but uh, grass tastes bad. For the fact this week, we have something from the exact same group of people. Last week, we were in the same region. This time, even closer. Now, that does not mean that the whole of South America does not have a single fact about their mythology that I would like to share with you all. Neither does this mean that I was like TLDR on the whole body of work and just went with the group I was already researching. This is because I found something that I loved. The Mapuche have machi shamanesses. I need to explain a little bit more about shamanesses in this culture because to me, it's pretty awesome. To the Mapuche, the word machi translates to shaman. And it's usually a role tackled by a woman. Not anyone can do this. The initiation is long and definitely not for the faint of heart. Selected due to a number of different conditions, including but not limited to lineage and premonitions from other machi, the chosen one, while nothing but a wee lass, BT dubs, will undergo a ceremony or a, a machi luan to cement their transition. Six months as an apprentice to an older machi, and then these shamanesses. I think I pronounced it shamanesses earlier. I like shamanesses better. I think that's the one that I'm going to go with. Shamanesses will learn how to be responsible for performing any number of ceremonies that include, but are not limited to, 
provoking a bountiful harvest, encouraging positive social interactions, good health and well-being among the people, and, of course, the ever-pivotal banishing, or more appropriately, the preventative warding off of evil entities. Just as it is an oral tradition for generations to pass down their folklore, it's tradition for machis to pass down regional knowledge of sacred plants, sacred animals, sacred stones, everything, all the sacred, everything sacred. As badass as all this is, for real, there's a mega badass picture I'm linking to in the show notes. All this is just a precursor to what I really wanted to talk about. The fluidity of gender for the machi. What scholars have deemed as co-gender, partly masculine, partly feminine, when you become a machi, it's considered a transformation on a spiritual level, which means gender is not binary, and it's dynamic not to be determined by biology. A term I saw used and not used is machi referring specifically to a biologically born female, and machiweas, or machiways, being gender nonconforming. See, the ceremonies can transcend gender. New gender identities are explored as the machi fluctuate between male, female, and non-binary, becoming whatever is needed by their patient or by their focus during the ceremony. See, earth, earth is going to be fixed. A machi is not. This allows them to flow through existence to help return whatever it is to balance. I'm only touching on this in brief, and there is an entire other side to this. Homophobia and transphobia exist in this society as well. Surprisingly so, at, at least to me. It makes sense. Uh, eh. I mean, there are cultural norms in any society, such as when uh, a culture assigning traditionally masculine roles and traditionally feminine roles and to what up. By and large, those that don't fit into that binary system they're going to be shunned. A culture that has a supreme healer, such as a shamaness, is still no less a target to fear and ignorance and then the hurtful actions that follow such a dangerous combination. And that's our show this week. Please join us again when we move forward into my backyard, globally speaking, my proverbial backyard, as we tackle an indigenous North American creation myth. Thank you, all good folks, our lyrical gangsters, with our intro-outro music, the song Mr. Mischief. Thank you, Jacqueline, for the bomb cover art. And thank you, Arthur, for the smoking logo. At any point in time, any time of the day, any day of the... It's long in a tooth, I get it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything at all, please send us an email at info at coloredfolklore.com or maybe, perhaps, if you get the chance, check us out on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all with the handle Colored Folklore. And the best way, as always, to check us out is to go directly to the source. Our website, www.coloredfolklore.com. It has all of the previously listed information front and center on most of the pages. And what has its own dedicated page is our allies page. Friends to the show, sponsors to the show, members of the team. Please, if you get the chance, please take a look if you are interested in perhaps gaining said amazing title of ally to colored folklore, please let us know. 
We are looking for indigenous groups, charitable organizations, businesses for, by, with, geared towards the community, regardless of how you identify, look, worship, love, if at any point in time you yourself has stared at a box marked other. Join us. Join us and become part of the community. And I don't I don't mean that lightly at all. I legit get it. Having to mark other quite a number of times in my own personal life. I can't even imagine someone that has never seen their their group or their category or identification ever listed out when you know, like when when needing to categorize oneself is uh, a, a thing, you know, not, not, not that it, not that it should or needs to be, but you know, bureaucracy is real. The struggle is real. Words are real. Myths, mm, not so much. Or are they? <laughs> no, for real, the stuff, it ain't real. It's not literal. They're, they're stories. They have power. They have legit power, but we are in control of the power. Trust me. We, the people, we are the, don't play me off, you rich bastard. I'm still ranting over here. <laughs>